Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. I, as always, am Clark Coffey. And also, as always, with me is Mr. Cullen McFader. Hey, Cullen, Hello. how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic on this like beautiful, overcast, misty day, which is rare for us to get here in Southern California. I'm mm-hmm. enjoying it. It's like perfect writing weather. So I'm excited to, after we record this, I'm going to sit down next to the fireplace and do some writing. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know it's what like, it is. Yeah, it's like the, the best atmosphere for. Yeah, it's, it's mysterious. Al- you know, it, it's always. I feel like it's harder to write when it's you know eighty degrees and sunny every single day. You know, I maybe it's the romantic in me, but I I want like you know a foot of snow outside and overcast and you know it's too cold to go anywhere and when it just feels like, like there's tension in the air, yeah. you just like hunker down, you know, and yeah, and it's like well, I, there's nothing to do but write anyway, and you know, you mm-hmm. make yourself a hot toddy and. Sit oh, down. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, maybe. But anyway, uh, I'm also glad to be here, which uh, uh, with you on what will be uh, episode 43, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your film Daylight Again. So you know we've we've done an episode, a couple episodes up until this point, where we kind of went over some of your preparations uh, for pre-production. And we had another episode where we talked a little bit about the first part of your of your production, your shooting, and now you've wrapped and you're in post. So we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, your whole process and what you went through and maybe what you learned or, you know, mm-hmm. how things went for this, this the second half of your production and kind of as you slide into the first parts of post here Mm -hmm. so yeah let's jump in i mean let's let's remind everybody if you would like give us a quick little summary of your film of the project of its scope um and its story just in case uh people are jumping in here and haven't heard the other two and then we'll we'll kind of uh, go through what your process has been thus far yeah so uh the project the, the movie as you said is called daylight again um it's a very hitchcock kind of uh drama thriller um, about this character named Maggie who's kind of reached rock bottom and, and has nowhere to go and her family and friends have all kind of disowned her in a way. Mm. Um, and then she bumps into her ex from uh, a few years ago, Peter, who, um, you know, they had kind of a toxic relationship back in the day and did some illegal stuff. Um, but he kind of offers to, um, you know, house her and, and help her kind of get back on her feet um, so he brings her up to his house, which is off in the country way up north, and um, things kind of aren't as they seem, and she sort of realizes that there was mm. a, a ulterior motive to his um, mm. his his reaching out. So, um, dun, dun, yeah, dun. so again, very, uh, very Hitchcock, very, like, I was kind of funny because I rewatched Rebecca um, right before we did our major shoot at the the house location, uh-huh. um, which is uh, one of my favorite Hitchcock movies, and I sort of realized how much I accidentally stole from it, um, <laughs> you know, completely subconsciously. Like even yeah? the plot itself is super similar to to Rebecca, which of course is about um, a woman who is swept up by a man who she has never dated before in that uh-huh. instance, and goes to his house and finds out all these you know secrets about him and. Um, that that maybe he's not quite as nice as he seems. So it was kind of funny to to watch um, watch that before I went and kind of realize like, oh wow, this is <laughs> I can tell where my mind kind of went on the uh, the inspiration side of things. Um, but yeah. yeah, so it was it was a year and a half about a year and a half of writing uh-huh. um, and pre production and stuff like that, and then um, we shot it over the course of about a month and a half. But there were ten shoot days individually. 
Okay. Originally, there were supposed to be 11, um, but one of them got cut. Um, so there was 10 total shoot days, which is, I'm sure that anybody who has experience in the film industry right now is going like, first feature in 10 days there's no way that worked yeah um yeah that's not but, many days i thought the same thing and and everyone i told was like good luck because you know a lot of people's first shoot features take years to shoot and, and get done and stuff mm -hmm. but um um i hopefully will be able to get into kind of the details of like how i planned it um, and how i scheduled everything well um, yeah so i mean I let's, let's talk a little bit about yeah yeah well just, let, let's use that, that let's use that then as a segue to 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 talk about uh, mm -hmm. how you set things up and what your shoot was like. So, I mean, how did you get it done in 10 days? I mean, give us an idea of script length and um, kind of where you feel like, or if you've got a target for film length, mm -hmm. but what do, what do you think were some of the keys for getting that successfully shot in such a short period of time? Um, so the script length is 90 pages, okay. um, and I'm aiming for about 80 to 90 minutes on the film. Okay. okay. Um, and... I think the biggest key was, you know, during the writing process, knowing that I was directing it, um, being able to both cut down or alter scenes to make it, you know, easier to shoot. So an example is in an earlier draft, like this, the final set piece of the film took place at night or at dusk or dawn in a forest. And it was this big, like, action, not action in terms of like fight scene, but it was like there was a lot of action, a lot of stunt work and choreography and stuff that had to go into that. Yeah. Um, and I was like, there's no way that on this budget, which is again, it's entirely self-financed, um, not just by me, but you know, self-financed by the group of us, um, uh, that there's no way that, that I was going to be able to wrap around the, the infrastructure needed to shoot such a complicated scene out in a forest at at dawn yeah. um like that's just you know those are three things that are are like you know even a big budget movie would have a hard time pulling that off so i wound up switching that whole thing um to be inside in this cellar which is a location that we'll talk about um once we kind of get onto the actual shoot days themselves um so it was a lot of that like it was a lot of going through the script and being like that's going to be way too complicated to shoot um so how can i get that scene kind of or the, the idea of that scene across while also making it a much more simple logistic kind of yeah. thing to to get done um and then the second part of it was was also being able to kind of go through the script itself and sort of say like okay what what locations need what you know who are the actors i need because i kind of did all of the pre-pro like the production bio myself as well so it was it came down to basically looking at the shot list and getting a really detailed shot list and actually running through that shot list in the rehearsal and kind of, you know, faking the setups during the rehearsal process that we did, um, which we spoke about kind of in our first episode. Right. Um, and, you know, setting up with a viewfinder, like the shots and realizing, okay, that actually I can, I can cut out these three shots because that shot kind of covers the whole scene and, and actually looks really nice and the blocking can kind of play out naturally in that one setup rather than having to do six different shots for for a scene yeah um so it was again it was a lot of kind of cutting things down to their essentials which not in a way that that made it seem like it was like lazy or rushed or anything like that but rather quite the contrary so that i could put a lot of effort into as few shots as possible Focus. as opposed to you know spreading out so much effort over yeah 50 shots in a scene or something right which often happens so so yeah. it sounds like i mean in the writing process it it if not if not in your first kind of draft or or i mean not your first draft but you kind of it sounds like you took your shooting script and you went mm -hmm. through and you even refined that further 
where yes, you, exactly, you, yes. you said, okay, what are the actual practical limitations? What locations can I get? And even more, you know, these shots, the handful of shots, like the one that you described, this is going to be technically quite difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I, I could like kind of put this in a different place or at a different time and make that shot technically much easier for me to, to actually pull off in such a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. and, then, and I mean, even an example of one of those things, too, yeah. is that there was a, a, a location that was supposed to be inside kind of like a hardware store. Mm -hmm. And I was not getting a response from anywhere. You know, even when they'd email back and sort of say, hey, do you have any more details about the thing? Um, and of course, you know, again, offering to pay for these locations as well. Um, but just nowhere well, was responding. COVID is probably tough. Um, I mean, COVID, exactly. And yeah. so I wound up taking that scene um, and just setting it outside in a parking lot. And we already had another shoot at a parking lot, um, which was the scene supposed to, supposed to be the scene after that scene in the hardware store. Um, and so what that made me, that's actually why it went from 11 to 10 days. Cause I wound up cutting an entire shoot day out, um, because of the fact that we no longer needed that location of, of inside the hardware store. Yeah. And so I just kind of combined, there was like supposed to initially be two scenes. They have a conversation in the car, hardware store and carry it out in, uh, you know, into the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And I just wound up using that entire parking lot to be the, the setting of the entire scene rather than, yeah. which took some rewriting. Um, you know, I rewrote the scene so that it made sense to be out there, and I actually wound up liking that scene in the way that the dialogue kind of progressed in that scene more than had I even shot the scene in the hardware store in the first place. So, yeah, again, a lot of things like that, just kind of going like, okay, this location either isn't responding or is going to be, you know, too much work or something like that, and so why don't I just simplify it and kind of yeah. combine things and, and make yeah. it more efficient? And, and I mean, I, I think it's important to note, too, because I see this in a lot of shoots, um, and it sounds like your rehearsal process limited this quite a bit, which is just a, a ton of coverage, I mm -hmm. think. Yes, it, it, yeah. And, you know, it seems to me that it's... And I, I'm, I'm really against shooting a lot of coverage, and I know that there are people out there who... You know, they just, they want to get everything from every angle because what you know it, it makes them feel kind of safer. You know, it's like okay, if I've got all these angles, if I've got all this coverage, I'm you know get as wide as possible to as you know as tight yeah, I as can possible cut wherever I want. Yeah, and everything in between, they feel like okay, I'm giving myself all these options when I get into editing, and and I don't actually feel like that's really how that ends up. No, I no. think what ends up happening is that you're overwhelmed in editing. A and B, that lack of focus really becomes evident. Once you mm -hmm. start to edit the picture together, uh, you can tell that there wasn't um, an intensity of focus and yeah, yeah. and, and uh, a conscientiousness. Um, so I don't know. It, yeah, I've I, even got a perfect example for that, yeah, too. Is yeah. that they're into when we were shooting at the restaurant one night, um, which, again, lots of extras and things like that, and props and, and fake wine and beer and stuff like that. So like logistically a more complicated shoot than than the earlier ones had been um probably the first like majorly complicated lots of kind of infrastructure going into a, a, a shoot um you know actually having to speak with the location owner and stuff like oh owner 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 it was actually new. the restaurant that i used to bartend at so it was you know a little bit of a, a, a great way to sneak in there but um um there was a sh one scene where I knew that I wanted to have primarily the most of the scene take place in a oneer of just them talking at the um, the table, kind of a very Bong Joon Ho shot where it's like they're very um, again, it's almost like tableau, like they're 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 
choreographed and staged in a way that the blocking is in a way that like you can see all their faces they're all kind of sitting on one side of the table and talking mm -hmm. to each other that way as opposed to something where it would be like shot or shot right at a table right. i just i just liked the look of of the kind of you know back from afar on a really long lens looking over to them and having this whole scene play out in the shot list though i had you know an insert of or just a, you know a, a, the master and then i had the close-ups of each of them so that if i something went wrong in the master i could cut in mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. we did the master first and my first or my, my assistant director sort of came over and said like okay now it's like what's these like how are we going to light the the close-ups and i was looking at the the take and i sort of said like oh we don't even need them like i'm, I'm happy with that and I, I know that if we cut into anything it's going to interrupt the rhythm of that scene um and so we we wound up cutting again three shots out of the scene yeah. Just on the shoot day, because I realized that that one master, which was always my plan initially, didn't need any coverage to, to fill in the blanks or anything like that. It just worked on its own and, and the performances were solid. And so I was happy with it, um, happy enough with it to just go with the master as I had initially planned and didn't need that that extra coverage. Yeah. Um, which again, would have just slowed things down and, and it would have been pointless because I wouldn't have even used them. So I yeah. you kind of have to, again, you have to be really you have finite resources including time and, and i think if you use them wisely then uh, to make shots look good and to make sure the actors are you know delivering well and things like that and like them really nicely then you're gonna have i think a better final product than if you just you know get so much stuff that that it just winds up being jumbled um yeah. and you know sure are there you know the slight moment of like a continuity error or something like that somewhere in the movie probably but it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because it's one second. And I think that you'd have to really be forensically analyzing the movie to actually even notice those types of things. Right. Um, whereas I think what's much more noticeable again, like you said, is just this kind of like lack of vision or yeah. lack of, of like clear choice of what the shots are. And you're just trying to capture everything so that you can kind of like stitch it together in the edit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's, and it takes confidence, right? I mean, You've got to, because I know, I, I mean, look, I understand it's, it can be scary, you know, mm -hmm. to, to put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. But, you know, it, it's, uh, I think that confidence usually pays off. I mean, there's, you know, everything is kind of a balance mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and you, you've got to be sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, I'll be excited to see the, what you've got. Um, and I, you know, we could talk a little bit more. I know you're, you're actually kind of starting post just, but, but before we jump to that, Let's let's talk about you've already mentioned like a handful of different locations. And I know, you know, for for people who are kind of just starting out, who are making some of their first films, that's one of the biggest challenges um, mm -hmm. right away are, are are finding locations that you're able to use. Talk to me a little bit about some of the locations that you used and how you went about finding them and how that kind of worked. How were you able to do that on such a low budget? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the first two days um were just one of them we shot just at my house uh, which is always you know the easiest <laughs> yeah um and then there's a out exterior scene in a forest that we shot um very close to my house there's a big kind of like forest with a marsh and stuff nearby um mm -hmm. so we were able very much a local kind of like i knew the locations i'd been there i'd shot things there before um so i kind of knew how easy it was to get equipment over there and stuff like that now did you just um, steal those exteriors you just kind of ran out yeah yeah exactly and and then like yeah. scenes in the parking lot exactly we just yeah. i i knew what parking lot would be kind of the least busy on a sunday morning yeah and so we just went there and and you know there was of course traffic going through but it kind of added to the the location anyway but there was no 
issue of like people parking right beside us or something like that. You never had anybody kind of come up and say, what are you doing here, young yes, man? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Um, and then the, so then the first kind of major location that was, that was uh, like an actual kind of rental was the, the restaurant, which as I said, I, I used to bartend there. And when I was writing the script, I wrote, kind of blocked the scenes in my head in that restaurant. So it was really great that I wound up getting to use it. The lighting was also like, is, has always really been really beautiful in that restaurant because it's a very, um, like there's a lot of light fixtures that are very soft, that are kind of hanging from the ceiling all over the restaurant. So it, it provides a really soft kind of wraparound lighting versus, you know, some restaurants that are either really dark or some restaurants that just have really harsh lights that are just in certain areas and, and there's not like an even distribution of light. So it made mm -hmm. it really easy to light around. Um, and then, you know, again, because of the fact that I bartended there, I was able to easily talk to the owner. Yeah. Um, and that is, again, a huge recommendation is just use what you know and use, yeah. you know, don't be afraid to ask for favors from people and stuff like that. And, and of course, return them. Um, but um, yeah, so that was kind of the first major location that wasn't, you know, my own or something that I owned or, or something that was kind of stolen outside that that didn't really have a like that was public mm -hmm. um and that one went well that was just a again a restaurant scene so we had so we had extras and stuff like that and then after that was a cellar scene mm -hmm. so that was one of these scenes that I was kind of concerned about um because in the it, again very specific blocking and very specific needs from the screenplay right I mean um, you had scene. stunts and kind of I mean yeah. there was a whole choreograph and there, and there was like a and you know just even the way that that our main character enters the space and exits the space was very specific in the screenplay. And I had a very specific idea in my head. Right now. Um, did you, did you, so the cellar scene, you're going to tell mm -hmm. us in a second, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but did you have the location locked down and then wrote the scene knowing? That? No. So I, I, I knew that I would probably have to change it, but okay. I still wrote it specifically anyway, like for a, a fake location in my head, just kind okay. of like, okay, I kind so, of want the door to be there and then another gotcha. door here and then the so space. So you imagined a space and then you went out and you found something that you could make work with it. Yeah, and so okay. I, what was funny was that, so I, uh, there's a lot of great, this is another, you know, piece of advice for anybody who's kind of starting out. There's a lot of great Facebook groups that are just like Film Industry Network Toronto or, you mm -hmm. know, wherever you are. I'm sure there's a, a ton of them for each city. Um and so I just went there and I sort of said like, hey, I need a location that's sort of like the Silence of the Lambs house or like the Parasite, you know, bunker basement kind of okay. thing. Like I need some sort of cellar with hallways, basically like a, a main room and then some some tunnels or some Kind of mazy, yeah. Um, and um, I got a few pieces of like, you know, people saying like, here's this or that or this and none of them really worked. And then this one guy reached out to me and said like, hey, I'm in Hamilton, which is a, you know, very short drive, like a half hour drive from where I live. Um, and he said like, I've got this, this location, we, we, there's sound stages on the top. It's this old like warehouse, but in the basement, it's, it was an old hydro building. So they used to run water through it and it would power mm. the street lamps. It was so um, like back in the early, you know, 1900s. Oh, wow. And um, so we, I went for a scout, like I went with the, one of the people that was working with me, we just kind of went to check it out. And I walk into the space and it was literally like, you know, block for block, exactly what I had imagined. It's perfect. Like yeah. I had to change absolutely nothing about what was in the screenplay, which was, you know, kind of insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so then, so I booked that location. Um, and that day, that shoot day was like, without a doubt, the most complicated because again, that was the day that we had to have like makeup. We had to have, um, you know, there was like a lot of, uh, the lighting had to be very specific because we're in this cellar. And so we needed like 200 feet of extension cords to get light down there. 
Yeah. Um, we had, I had to make sure that the lenses were fast enough to, to actually capture, you know, a dark space like that. And, and yeah. had to bring like a haze machine so that it filled the space and that we, there was a bunch of props. There was, um, you know, very complicated set dressing to make it just look like the space that I wanted to look like. So yeah, without a doubt, that was, that was the most challenging day. Um, but even well, that went really, really smoothly. Um, yeah, let me, let's know. talk a little bit more in detail about that. Let, let yeah, me sure. ask you, you know, cause I think sometimes, you know, it, uh, might help some people who are again, you know, in the process of putting together their own first films or they're kind mm-hmm. of coming up against these challenges. So talk to me a little bit about how you negotiated the rental of that space. Um, was it, was it difficult? Did you, you know, uh, just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was basically, I went and I think their rate was 100 an hour, um, okay. and, or you could do um, 1,000 for the full day. So they were That's kind what, of set up, like they had, it sounds yeah, like... Yeah, they, they had they had fees, but then they also, yeah. you were able to negotiate if your budget was lower okay. um, to, to, you know, pay less. Okay. Um, so I wound up kind of negotiating down a little bit, but then what was funny was that I showed up. So that was also the day that, again, nothing really majorly went wrong, but um, there was, it was actually kind of turned out to be a little bit lucky for that location. Um, so I had booked the location in April and the shoot day was at the end of July. So there was a few months between me actually going to location and, and then the shoot day. Um, and so I show up on the shoot day and I had talked the to the uh, owners a few days or a few weeks in, in advance of it and sort of just asked them questions and stuff and then suddenly they kind of stopped responding mm. and it was kind of odd and I was like well I hope that it, they're just busy because you know I definitely need this location and I've yeah. got actors that are hot actually you know hired out to come I've got a makeup artist that I've hired so let's hope that that they're just busy so we show up on the day and the door was locked and the place was empty Mm-mm. And so I was like, oh no, like, let's just, let's just hope <laughs> that, that, you know, I just have, have to call yeah. somebody or something. And so I call and the guy that I was arranging, kind of like my contact at the place was out of town, but luckily he was able to pick up his phone. And so he just gave me the code, the code for the lockbox, And so I could get the key and open everything up and, um, get in there. Mm-hmm. But I think what had happened was actually that he had forgotten to actually write me in schedule me in uh, um so i think that he completely forgotten and luckily it only took like five minutes to actually get all that figured out but uh, because of that he wound up like just basically giving it to me free of charge because he was like you know my bad whoa so i wound up getting the location for free which oh was, my gosh know, great that's and amazing then, um but then we get in and um it's like again it's like a big warehouse soundstage type thing so we could actually pull our cars into the to the actual building um, and I locked my keys in my car, which had all of the equipment, all the sound, the sound oh equipment, gosh. the camera, the, everything. So it was like two things in a row were just like, oh, great. Um, but again, luckily that was resolved within 10 minutes. We called CAA, which is, you know, basically AAA here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and they opened my door and it was, it was all fine. And those two things, um, for that day were the, the biggest things that went wrong. Everything else went, you know, incredibly smoothly, but again, to ske- talk about scheduling. So there's kind of two sections of the scene. There's the scenes that take place in the tunnels, and then there's the scenes that take place in the uh, the cellar. And they're actually two separate parts of the building, so you had to, like, you couldn't actually film right through into the one location from the other. Um, but I knew that the one actor was going to be alone in the tunnel scenes, and she was the one that needed the light makeup, and the other actor needed heavier makeup. So basically, again, like, just to talk about efficiency of scheduling, we got there at 9, 
um, the first actor, we probably didn't get set up until about 10, mm -hmm. ready to shoot. Um, the lead actress, she gets her makeup. And then we got um, the other guy in the makeup chair to get the, the more intense makeup for him. And while he was getting his makeup, which was going to take about two hours, we were down getting all the shots in the tunnels because mm -hmm. he wasn't needed. Then by that point, we'd wrapped. We took about two hours in the tunnels to get all the stuff that we needed down there and lots of like dollies and, and you know, some kind of cool effects lighting and stuff like that down there. Um, and then um, we finished that about 12.30, got lunch, and then we had the rest of the day to actually do the major scene in the cellar. Um, so we basically, again, it was kind of this, like, it seems very simple, but it's one of those things that's just kind of like, okay, while he's in his makeup chair, we don't need him for any of these scenes. Let's go get those scenes, finish those, lunch, then move right. on to the to more complicated stuff. Well, let me ask. I mean, I know, you know, it's, I, I think you said what you had a, a, a six crew total, and I know you mm -hmm. funded it yourself, very low budget. You wrote it, you directed it. Did you also uh build the schedule did you line produce mm -hmm. yeah you... yeah i i did all the scheduling and everything myself okay um and uh and just because i knew that it, like i i wanted to wrap my head around it and kind uh -huh. of know at every moment like it was really really helpful for for any time something kind of like couldn't be done at that time and i could sort of go like oh well i know that we're gonna have this location later that mm -hmm. time so let's just get this other bit here and then we can go back to that after and it's really easy where whereas i think if i didn't do the schedule myself or like wasn't as familiar with it um there'd be a lot of situations where it's kind of like oh something went wrong and now i need to figure out what to do as opposed to just being able to in a split second know exactly where we can go from mm -hmm. a certain place um if something is unavailable or whatever did you have an um, AD or somebody there to help keep you? Yes. On so, so I okay. had one AD who he kind of controlled the shot list and like kept track okay. of time and stuff like that. Um, and so he had the schedule, of course. So you did advance. have a little bit of help there, but I mean, that's yes, a lot to yeah. take on. Did you find that to be, I mean, it's a lot to hold in your head. It's, I mean, you're right. There's a, there's definitely a benefit to having all of that in, information and, and being so intimately involved in it. But that's also got to be a lot, you know, to you're worried about getting the shot, you're working with actors, you're dealing with whatever issues come up, like the two examples you just said. I mean, look, you know, no, no amount of planning can can um, negate keep, that, keep, yeah. negate anything from happening. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're yeah. all you're having to I mean, it's a major problem. I mean, I think. You know, it's it's easy to forget sometimes that directing, I think, is really, you know, it's at least as much about solving random weird problems that it is about, you know. The creative side, yeah. The creative side, yeah, yeah. totally. Well, I know, um, yeah. And I think that for me, the way I think about it is like, I don't really compartmentalize things. Yeah. So like I get on and, you know, working with the actors or setting up the shot or the lighting, it's all to me just like one task. Yeah. So knowing that schedule and stuff like that, like to me, that's still just like, it's not necessarily jumbled up in my head of like, I have to like think about this now and then this and then this and then now I'm working with the actors. It just comes quite natural to to be able to go like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of doing it all simultaneously. Like I'm yeah. like able to set up the shot while speaking with the actors, while kind of like, you know, checking the lighting and kind of building this thing. And, and the other thing about that is, is keeping your crew really informed as well. So because of the fact that like I would, you know, was really, really, um, I would say heavy handed with the communication of the crew and making mm. sure that they knew what we were doing, what the shots were, everything, you know, what the schedule was like that day, what scenes we were shooting. Oh, what, what tell me more, like when you stuff. said heavy handed, like, what do you mean? You, you mean so just, just lots of emails of like, like, 
our Very shoot days tomorrow. Here is the schedule. Like, here's the scenes we're shooting there. Here's the pages of the script that that scene is going to be. Here's yeah. what the lighting setup is going to be and kind of sent them, like, you know, overhead diagrams of light or whatever. So that way, even if, you know, I'm busy with an actor, I can sort of say, yeah, this is actually going to be, like, setup six. Yeah. Um, so all they have to do is look at it, and then I can go over, check it, kind of say, yep, that's good, that works, or if I need to shift something a little bit, um, I could do that. But, yeah, it was, it was, I can see that, I can see how it would get very out of hand on, like, larger films, especially if right. you're, like, talking about something with, like, you know, a huge amount of extras or, like, or, yeah. big, Just a big larger, set pieces. Yeah. Um, but, or but or was, even was, union, or, or pardon yes. me, even union limitations. If you've got yeah. a lar- larger crew and you're a union now, there, mm-hmm. are, there are literally, like, rules as to what you can and can't do. Uh, yeah. And that can yeah. get pretty specific. But, uh, and that's where, you know, I think... Um, it's still good to be hands-on, but you can start to delegate, and then you're kind of you're you're passing that detailed, explicit communication through to your department heads, as opposed to every single individual in the crew. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But it sounds, but it sounds like, and th- but that is one of the benefits of working so small. You know, I mean, a lot mm. of times we talk about the limitations, but one of the benefits of working so small is that it that you can be intimate. You put together uh, a team of people, and you empower them to do a lot of things and you can have this kind of holistic approach where Mm -hmm. everything know everybody knows everything that's going on and you're aware of every aspect of the process and and so you could you're much more nimble in that way um because everything is kind of right here in your head at that moment Mm -hmm. and and you know it's it's even things like you know writing the production bible and stuff like that yeah um which is a huge you know hundreds of pages of stuff in a binder um but being able to do that to me wasn't like a task. It wasn't something that I was like, oh man, now I've got to do this and I've got to schedule all this and blah, blah, blah. Right. It was very much just like a step in the process and really helped me, have, again, wrap my head around everything in a, in a much clearer way so that, yeah, you know, when I was scheduling, when I was shot listing and kind of transferring the shot list into the schedule, because basically I had a master shot list that was the chronological order of the shots in the film, kind of like an editor's list. And then I had... Um, the shot lists, you know, divided up into their locations and scenes and things like that. So that, you know, on a day I could just pull out, okay, here's the shots that we're shooting this day at this location. Um, and being able to do that and kind of know, like there was a lot of times when I'd scheduled or put things in those smaller shot lists and then realized like, oh, that actually isn't going to work there because in this scene, we've got to put like a blood effect on somebody. And then the scene after that, he doesn't have the blood effect. So I should probably put the blood effect at the end of the day so that we can get all that stuff done rather than having to change out of costumes and change back into something that doesn't have the blood on it or whatever. Um, It wound up making it, again, way easier to kind of figure things out like that, that I think had I not been so hands-on with it, would have missed right and would have just kind of you know it would have slept slipped under the radar well and it i mean it sounds to me like you worked at a you know to be perfectly honest you were it sounds like you worked at a higher level of planning preparation uh and detail than most productions at this budget level i, I probably i mean at least in my experience like 99.9 percent is where you're at with your strategy your planning your preparation for films this budget, uh, which which is uh, likely why you, you know, that's a huge part of why you succeeded, why you're able to shoot, you know, 90 pages in 10 days and, and mm-hmm. have really good looking stuff come out of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the thing is that like there's, for me, rather than thinking that it's like I'm wearing 100 hats and I'm trying to get the cinematography to look good while I'm also trying to get the performances there, I think again, being able to, to 
do that all on like again not to say that it was all on my own because i had tons of help from from like a really really great crew yeah um, but being able to again kind of be perhaps in charge of scheduling all that and, and writing it out and actually you know figuring it out in my head um to me again kind of made it like an amalgam as mm -hmm. opposed to oh you know the cinematography is suffering because i'm i'm working with the actors I was able to kind of go like, no, it's all one. Like I'm, I'm looking at this as though it's the film. Yeah. And so I know that when she delivers her line like this, I want the lighting to be like that. And I want the camera to move like that. And it's kind of like that way of thinking about it as opposed to, again, kind of sectioning things off and sort of going like, okay, this is what the lighting is going to look like here. I'm going to yeah. work on that for a half hour. And then I'm going to go over and talk to the actors. And then I'm going to go over and kind of get the camera figured out and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there was also, I mean, another thing was my assistant director. I had, um, I have a wireless video monitor. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to be on an iPad the whole time watching the shots as they played out. And so while I was, you know, if I was like working on performance, he could easily say like, hey, you can actually see uh, the camera and the reflection in that shot for a second. Or that actor in the background looked at the camera for a second, so let's retake that. And so he was kind of the logistical guy that was able to, you know, look at a shot and sort of rather than like on the creative side of it of like, oh, does it look good? Does it is it lit well? He was able to sort of, point out the things that I might miss right. um, just because of the fact that I'm so focused on kind of the, the more creative right. stuff. Well, that, so. and that's a, that's a really good thing to point out. I think that this is a really interesting suggestion, you know, a little, little tip or trick here uh, real quick. Let's focus on this that, you know, especially, I mean, you're directing, you're also operating. That's a lot to put mm -hmm. on someone's shoulders, you know, no pun intended, um, <laughs> you know, in the moment. I mean, it is right because you're having to manage all the technical aspects and, and right. You're pulling focus, too. I mean, you're doing everything right. I'm, I'm assuming it's not like mm -hmm. you had a, a camera tech. You didn't have a focus puller. You're doing everything yourself. Um, that's a lot to keep track of. And um, then to also be watching, paying attention to performances, paying attention to you've got the edit in your head or kind of what you, you know, what you imagine the edit to be, what came before, what came after, how is this going to cut in? Now mm -hmm. you're like all the technical aspects of everything that could kind of go wrong. You know, to have a second set of eyes is really vital. And I'm sure that saved your butt probably in, a, in, a, in numerous oh, times, I'm guessing, yeah. where he yeah, caught. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk about sound a little bit, too, because uh, we've not touched on that. And yeah. I, and specifically, I'm kind of interested in talking about a particular piece of gear that I know you used that yes. that, yeah. I, that I think is, is pretty amazing for filmmakers, and that is the, uh, the Zoom F6. And I think you and I are actually both using that at this very moment, are we mm -hmm. not, to record yep. our own audio for this. Um, but what's unique about this device at its price point is that it is a 32-bit machine. And tell me a little bit about your experience using that for the shoot. And um, did that, and uh, let me back up a little bit and say that in a nutshell, one of the benefits of 32-bit is that basically its dynamic range is substantially greater than something <laughs> that shoots at 16 or 24. And mm -hmm. it basically, it almost totally eliminates uh, clipping issues that you mm -hmm. might have, which are a real problem when you have high, you know, huge differences in volume, basically. 
mm-hmm. um, from a performer or well from anything that you're recording actually. So uh, it often happens that you can have a, um, a a take ruined because either it was recorded at too low of a volume or too high of a volume and clips. Mm-hmm. And then it clips, yeah. And and it it can be a, a real challenge to keep that at the sweet spot while you're uh, while you're recording. So tell me a little bit about that. I'm curious. Did that how how did that go? Well, it was, it's, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And even just specifically for, for performances because, yeah. um, and so my, my good friend, Evan was the um, location sound. He's also doing the post sound. Yeah. Um, but he, um, and he's a very talented, you know, boom operator and, you know, sound recordist. So he's, he's quite good at, you know, getting levels correct and stuff like that. Right. But when it comes to performances for actors, um, there's one scene in particular that's like an argument in, the the bedroom and the volumes like there's there's very soft talking and then shouting yeah and stuff like that and what was great about the 32-bit float was the fact that um i was able to do that he looked at me and said oh that clipped on that one line but we know we can recover it yeah so that even and it's actually the line is actually in the trailer itself um which was released a few days ago um just look up daylight again trailer it should be on youtube yeah. and maybe um, we can find but, a way to link that yeah but i mean yeah, literally yeah but um, it's, almost like it's almost yeah, like magic it's almost like so I, magic. When, I, when i was editing it before because i of course didn't do the sound for the trailer that, that was also evan yeah um but i was able to just drop that that shot into the trailer mm-hmm. clips um like it was a really bad clip yeah and and it sounds completely fine in the trailer it sounds like you you know as though the audio was was recorded at the right level the whole time and, and yeah. so it's it, you know it's very much for anybody who perhaps knows like kind of what dynamic ranges in, in sense of a camera, or if you're recording in a raw format on a camera where it's like you can essentially choose the level of gain after the fact um, because it records at every level. So it's recording. So the file sizes are, of course, bigger, but you're simultaneously both recording the highest, the mids, the lows on a spectrum which is kind of, again, the evolution from older devices, which used to just kind of record one high, one low, and so you kind of had a two-track to choose from. But even then, there could still be issues with that. Sometimes they would both clip, and you're kind of SOL. But mm-hmm. um, but this thing is, yeah, it's 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 a really, really workable, like just the the, the workability in post with these, these files is insane, yeah. just what you can do. I could right now scream into this microphone. I won't, but I could. <laughs> Thank you for not and doing And we that. could quite easily... Yeah, pull it down. That. Yeah, yeah. If it, even if it was right in the red, it was completely peaked. Yeah, um, like losing. You know, when it gets all chippy and stuff, the data um, is very actually still recover. there. Yeah, the yeah. data is actually still there. And I think you know, for people who, for when you have a small a small team, you've got a small crew. You've got maybe one guy who's operating uh, boom, and he's also uh, you know monitoring and adjusting mm-hmm. levels and everything. I mean, it's on it's, three different tracks too. With th- the boom and on three two labs, so. absolutely, and it, it's inevitable that you're going to have clipping, that you're going to have levels that are just not matched perfectly to what's going on. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially too, if you have actors who are a little bit less experienced, they're not acting from a perspective of, okay, I need to, you know, I need to be careful for the sound. I need to be, you know, they, they don't have that kind of thing in mind necessarily oh, exactly. because they don't have a lot of experience. So they're, you know, they're, and even for professional actors, it can be very freeing to not have to worry. About oh my God. Too. Well, I was going to say, and even yeah. right. And in spite of all of that, I mean, to be freed up, to uh to just go ahead and go for it uh mm-hmm. saves a lot of takes and, okay cool well I'm, and it's, I, I mean it's the other thing too is like it's not there are cheaper sound recorders out there you could get one for you oh, know for eight sure. times 
cheaper than than what this is. This is about yeah. at least in Canada, it was about eight hundred bucks, which is not um, bad at all. By which the is way. not bad for the. But that's what I mean is that it's almost worth that amount of money. Yeah. Which is not expensive by no. you know by industry standards. It's very um, cheap. But I would yeah. say definitely worth that because you're going to save your butt so many times. Yeah. Working on a on a budget crew. Where again, like you said, the sound recordist is having to watch three separate tracks, um, and and also operate. make sure the microphone is pointed the yeah. right way. Like right, it, it'll it'll literally boom, save yeah. your cost in shooting fees. You know, just in in the shooting cost, you will recoup your money many times yeah. over yeah. with this thing. Anyway, we're not sponsored by Zoom, so everybody, this is totally objective. <laughs> we <laughs> don't have any sponsors. Just, it's just this, honestly fantastic. Yeah. It's it, it's just a device. It's a it's a piece of gear that I've recently acquired. I have not gone out in the field yet and shot with it, so I was just excited to see what Cullen's experience was. Uh, was and uh sounds like it was awesome so I'm, i can't wait to use it on my own projects coming up yeah so let's talk a little bit i mean was there anything else that you wanted to to kind of talk about with your production well i mean i would mean, so again that was it any was the, lessons learned or like you know again i can share another because i keep saying that like nothing really went wrong and there were a few things that so uh, yeah. when we got to the 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 location for the house um if you live in you know toronto area you probably know muskoka which is about three hours north of, of toronto um, and it, there's, there's definitely, you know, towns and things like that. So it's not impossible to, there's, there's modern infrastructure, but it is, you know, you're out in a forest by a lake. So it's mm -hmm. not like you can just run out the door in two minutes and get to a Best Buy and something like that. Right. What, what I realized when we got there was we forgot the XLR cable. Oh, so we had labs on the actors. Wait, thankfully. the, hold on. Let me back up. The XLR cable. Yes, the you only had XLR. one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is because I thought that we have two. Um, but I had assumed that the one that was hanging was packed. I, I thought that that was the, the backup and I thought that I'd packed one and then forgot to put the one that was hanging on my door into the bag. And so it was, so we get up there and then we're like, oh damn. So we spent like a day, we basically, one of the days was only lav audio, mm -hmm. um, wound up again working okay because the, the F6 is so dynamic and it was also a pretty low dialogue day. It was a lot of just just movement and stuff like that, which mm -hmm. of course can also be, you know, very vital to have a boom to capture those things. But we, we had backup mics that were kind of less good than a boom, but still something to just kind of get scratch audio. Uh -huh. um, but we wound up having to basically find this like AV store that was like a 45 minute drive away. It was the yeah. only place that we could find that was selling uh, XLR cables. And sent, so we sent one of the, the um, PAs, one of my the... friends just over to get it. And yeah. Um, but again, it's things like that where it was like an immediate, well, like as soon as we realized that we didn't have an XLR cable, it was like, okay, so this is what we're going to do. Like we're just yeah. going to move on to it's these good, shots. It's a good really time though. It's a good time to make, make a couple notes. I, I would recommend a couple things that I always do are um, I have like a checklist. Mm -hmm. Whenever mm -hmm. I whenever I pack my gear up, when I'm when I'm going out on location, I have a checklist and I make sure everything's there. And then, of course, when I pack up and leave, I have a checklist. You reach and in. I make yeah. sure that I've actually packed everything because, my goodness, it's really easy to leave things behind. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is that when it comes to cables, especially. I always have redundancy because uh, mm -hmm. you, you just never know when a cable is either going to magically disappear and walk away or stop working or get a short or who knows what. But yeah. when it comes to cables, I have at least two and usually three or four. You know, if I need one, I have two or three. If I need mm -hmm. three, I have four or five. I always try to have extras of all that stuff because it, it, it's inevitable 
that something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And it's like, goodness grief, you know, for a, for a $15 cable, you don't want to stop, you know, production. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. look, we're, we're all under the gun on, you know, budget and none of us have infinite money. And even though they're cables, you need a lot of them. And it really mm-hmm. does add up to thousands of dollars. But wherever absolutely possible, I definitely try to have redundancy. Get as many, yeah. And, yeah. and just a checklist. I mean, that doesn't cost you anything. That's a piece of paper, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I, I have one and I was checking them off and I just, and, yeah, and sometimes I guess stuff it was happened. just, it was, yeah. again, it was, it was a very stupid, just misplaced. Like, it got like, lost in your mustache. Like I had put, I had put one of them there and then gone, yeah, I just put that in the bag. Your mustache ate it. Like, I think that's, yes, yeah. yes exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say, by the way, for it's the probably list, still in there right now. It's probably still, in, oh my gosh, there it is. <laughs> that's all. You've got like the most fantastic, bucks. like tombstone, like uh, oh, Mal yeah. Kilmer mustache going yeah. on right now. It's so awesome. I, I think that's been kind of a running joke. I think I've mentioned that at least in a couple other episodes. And the only reason <laughs> that I mention it and make fun of it is because I'm super jealous. I wish that I could, I wish that I could grow a mustache like that. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Uh, I mean, any other any other stories from production? Because we we still want I want to save a little bit of time too to talk about mm-hmm. you know post, some of post, your post yeah. work. So unless you've I mean, got, I guess anything... I can just one final thing yeah, I'll say yeah. is just that it was again that that like again a piece of advice um, when we were doing the shoot at the house the the cottage shoot which mm-hmm. was five days and we had I think I wrote it down here. So we had 47 scenes to shoot in five days. The bulk of the movie to shoot, about an hour of screen time. And that's, I just want to be clear, that's not setups, that's scenes. Yeah, So you probably had hundreds of setups Mm -hmm. in five days. And so the way that I kind of scheduled that out again was like, okay, we're doing everything in the kitchen today so that we can set up the lighting for the kitchen. And then, you know, it was very much a thing of like making sure that the everything was was set and because again we were living at the location too so i couldn't just you know leave equipment out because we had to wake up in the morning and eat and get breakfast and right um you know or people had to sleep in you know there were some people that were sleeping on a pull-out couch um and so it was like things like that so i couldn't just leave everything set up so i had to make sure that like okay this day this is our shoot location so if you need to sit down or if you want to go get lunch or something you can sit in the kitchen while we're shooting in the living room Mm -hmm. or we're shooting upstairs so everyone's going to kind of be downstairs that's going to kind of be our home base for the day and upstairs is going to be all set and lit for for the day um but i also had in there an entirely empty day because there was one day where we had so many scenes in there was the kitchen day scene and it's like so much of the movie takes place in the like a lot of the the large dialogue in the movie takes place in the kitchen and so it was so much shooting and we wound up getting to the end of the day where it was like a huge the huge kind of big finale of the movie Mm -hmm. and there's some effects work that has to go on and we were all so tired and it was very very nice to just kind of look at the the shot list go like oh we still have like six pages of shots to do let's just do this on the, the redundancy day. Like, let's just let's just push this to the reshoot day. And everyone just kind of like had a huge sigh of relief and we were all able to just kind of sit down and get dinner and, and relax nice. for the rest of the night. So and you so, had so much time that you were actually able, even able to say, you know what? Have a reshoot, yeah. We're going to quit early and we've mm-hmm. got we've got a, a day where we can pick those up and it's it's no skit, yeah. Every that, Well, I will, I will say every single shoot day went either ahead of schedule or exactly on schedule there was never a point where we were behind yeah. which was really really nice i mean and um, it really sounds like i mean again i just want to reiterate because i think it's not 
I don't think that it is the the first or even second or third or fourth or fifth thing that a lot of you know first time or even second or third time filmmakers think of is how much planning has to go into this. It's mm-hmm. you know that the glamorous part that we all kind of fantasize about is you know being on location and shooting and you know making magic in the moment right there, right? Um, but you know, putting together a production bible, putting together detailed schedules, shot lists. Um, you know, this stuff is is sometimes forgotten, I think, mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, first time filmmakers when they're getting things together. So kudos to you, man, because um, yeah, yeah. I think that's a real testament to, you know, that's the payoff from uh, that really detailed, extensive planning. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it sounds like to you you because we were talking before we started recording here and you were telling me that you had at least through a good chunk of the film, you were even putting together a rough cut. As mm-hmm. you went along, you had enough time to actually start to put in, a, you know, assemble a rough cut. Yeah, uh, yeah. From the day shooting, so tell me a little bit. Let's transition into into post now. So mm-hmm. you went into post production with what, like half the film or something. I think of... I had about half an hour cut together. Okay, so about a third. And, then and of so the there film. was about an hour that was that was shot at the cottage that I didn't okay. have time to edit together during those shoots. But um, yeah, there was about a half hour. Um, cut together um, and so I was very again very easily able to just kind of like edit those scenes that we shot and then plop them into the timeline and stuff like that um, yeah but um, you know th- that's one thing about editing too is that I'm of course I'm doing it myself which um, you know many people would often like advise against or say you know you need but the reason I'm doing it myself is, is kind of twofold um, one of the reasons is because I kind of when I'm even writing or when I'm shot listing I'm already editing the movie so I know exactly right. where cuts are going to take place I know how scenes are going to be cut together yeah um, during you know pre yeah. you're in, watching in the film in your head yeah yeah exactly and the second reason is that at this budget point it's one of those things where it's like you know even I was paying an editor you know a few thousand dollars to cut together my movie it's still so low budget that you might not get a cutback for like months. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know people who have been working on short films that are five minutes for the last two years because every time they send it off to an editor, and this isn't the fault of any editors, of course, they're going to prioritize yeah. larger paying jobs. Yeah. Um, but it's like every time they send it, it's like, you know, three months later, they get it's it the back. lowest priority. For some people that works, It it's like they like kind of taking the time off of seeing it. But for me, I, I don't like to not necessarily waste time, but like I like to, like Herzog says, have urgency. You want to have a sense of urgency, You know, I I like to to be able to sit down and cut it. And so there's definitely an issue sometimes of of getting kind of lost in your own work, which can be very easy to to have happen if you're, again, if you, especially if you've written it, directed it, and are now editing it. Yeah. Um, So my, you know, my kind of tricks are, one is very, very simple, which is that actually when I cut together a scene, I flip the image, I mirror the image so that it's actually the opposite way so everything's kind of backwards in the image uh-huh. and what that sort of does is almost trick your brain into thinking that you're watching something new for the first time and it hmm. can be way easier to kind of notice things that are weird or when cut something doesn't cut together quite well because you're it kind of removes you from from the actual objectivity of it, it um, okay. and the second is i'll like i'll cut to get together something and then i'll i'll you know wait a week before watching it so that right. i can at least kind of come away from it and not feel like my head's still in the sand get some distance um, yeah yeah and then the third is obviously this is you know quite obvious but but you know if you're not if you are editing something yourself um that you've shot it's vital to get secondary opinions and be able to send that off to people and because at that point they are kind of the 
you know, the eyes that, that another editor would be. Mm -hmm. So like sending something off and saying, you know, with a time code and sort of saying like, Hey, can you, can you make sure that when you write notes, time code them and sort of say like at this point, cut that shot of, you know, three seconds longer or something like that. Or like this, this scene doesn't really, it feels jarring the way these two shots cut together or this right. line doesn't work, cut that out. And so it can be really, you know, that is, I think the most important thing is, is getting as many secondary eyes on it as you can and then being able to go back in. So I've, I've had one cut so far, one full complete cut that I've sent out to people and gotten feedback on. And then now um, I'm basically going into, we had the big launch of our crowdfunding and our trailer and stuff like that, which kind of took a bit of time. But now I'm actually be able to sit down and kind of go into the second cut. Um, after the second cut, I'll send it out again. Then I'll probably have a third cut. And I'm hoping the third cut will be pretty close to picture lock at that point so that mm -hmm. then I can get the composer and the sound mix actually underway. Okay. Neither of which I'm actually doing. Which will be very nice to kind of be able to step back. Yeah, for, yeah. Uh, well, so who do you like to go to? Then, you know, I, I agree. I think it's probably one of the more vital things you can do or, you know, because I do, I, I edit a lot of my own things as well for the same reasons that you just described yourself. And, uh, and you, you know, it is sometimes could be challenging to get some objectivity, mm -hmm. uh, especially for some, you know, if you're having some uh, difficulty with a section or you're not quite sure how to solve a, a story issue or something uh you know to get other eyes on it is vital who do you like to go to do you go to like some of the your your producers uh that are working with you on yeah the film, so or do I'll you go just to go to like totally external random i, I like, try to kind of blend it i kind yeah. of like it's always because in a state like this where the sound isn't like not even touched yet and it's very rough i try to tend to stick to people who are like involved in films when so the very least they can understand and sort of fill in those blanks and go mm -hmm. like i know that that line won't be you know it won't sound like that basically right. the final thing um so i've shown it to the like most of the cast and crew not the cast sorry just the crew um who i know very well to kind of again give me notes um but then yeah i've had a few friends who were completely uninvolved in the project haven't seen any footage don't even know the script don't know what the story's about and i've shown them just to kind of get again a more general like broad scope of what do they feel about the story does it make sense is everything clear yeah. Um, and of course, what's really helpful for that is there's been points where they've sort of said, you know, like, oh, that I didn't really get that. Mm -hmm. And so I've said, well, in the final thing, there's actually going to be a sound effect there that sounds like that. Would that help that understanding? And they'll go, oh, yeah, that, I would totally have understood that way better if that sound effect was there. So it can be something as simple as that. Um, like there's a little bit with a whistle in the movie. And of course, none of the whistle sounds are in the movie yet. Um, but I sort of asked afterwards, like, if you heard that sound there and then heard it then again later on in the film, would it make sense to connect those two things? And they go, oh, yeah, totally easily. I would yeah. be able to connect that. Um, so, again, it can kind of help in that way of, of sort of being able to understand where is the where is stuff sort of falling flat or where is stuff getting confusing. But also yeah. at the same time, is the plan I already have in place, does it work? And, yeah, you know, that, and that, that and that's that's important too because yeah, I've definitely run into this on my you know uh, on projects that I've been a part of. Not it, where, you know, uh, sometimes people can have the story. You know, they they've sat with it themselves. You know, especially like writer directors where you know they've written the script, they've sat with it for a long time, they directed it themselves, and I mean the the story is just you know it. it it's been years inside their own brain. Mm -hmm. And so it is just, it's literally impossible for them to have objectivity about it. And mm -hmm. they are kind of making connections in the story that, that actually aren't there. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. I and it's, I've I've kind of been asked to come on kind of after the fact or you know I've worked um, in editing capacities like as an assistant or other things to come on um, and try to help draw all these connections, try to help put that back together because the it was kind of they were starting to realize holy crap you know there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that people aren't actually picking up but mm-hmm. it wasn't kind of seen at the time because. There was there were just kind of limited You're so involved ob- limited objectivity, yeah. And you you right, and it's like to you it makes perfect sense. You're like, yeah, well, of you course. know exactly what the intentions there are. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. It's like, well, of course this makes perfect sense. But then people, you know, totally objective audiences start to see it, and they're like, ah, I don't quite, you know, I don't quite quite see how A and B mm-hmm. are connected or whatever it is, you know. So and what, what can be great about too about like watching it with someone who's completely uninvolved. Um, is seeing what moments they laugh at and what moments they get scared yeah. at and stuff and being what able to sit beside yeah. them watching it and sort of actually like kind of watch them watch it and sort of see, you know, okay, so great, that that bit worked and that's they, they laughed there, so that, that's good. Or like, oh, they got scared there, so that that paid off. And, and um, Absolutely. Because again, it's very hard to like know if something that you're directing is scary because of course you're you're directing it or even funny. Um, yeah, and so so being able to actually sit down with another person who hasn't seen it and and watch them where they react, where they laugh, or if they don't at some point, you know, can you rework something? Or um, if they do where they weren't supposed to, yes, which can yeah, sometimes exactly. happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Well, uh, I I want if you don't mind, if you want to, uh, please share with everybody the location of your crowdfunding site. Yeah, yeah. So it's on uh, Indiegogo. Um, okay. So if you look up daylight again um on youtube um okay. or the day of course the trailers not the crosby stills nash and young song um <laughs> but uh, yeah if you look up thriller film daylight again trailer if you google that or sent, searched on youtube um the link to the indiegogo is actually in the description of that video okay um I- so uh, it should be easy to find there it's also if you just look up daylight again on on indiegogo it should be you know come up pretty easily um perfect but yeah excellent yeah. well colin thanks so much for sharing uh, some of your filmmaking experiences uh, with Daylight Again with us. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hope that for those listening, that that's been informative. Uh, it's I always enjoy listening to other people's creative processes, how they make decisions. I still learn things to this day, all the time, of course. Uh, and so it's fun for me to listen to your process, Colin. But uh, excellent. Well, I can't wait, yeah. uh, you know, down the road a little bit as you as you move through post, we can have another episode where we talk about your adventures in post and uh, and then I'll be excited to see the film. Yeah, I'm point. excited to show you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah excellent. Fantastic. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We appreciate it. Until next time. Bye bye.